So this is the first um, ceremony of Zazenkai that we're doing in the new decade. That's pretty special. Um, we're about a month from the winter solstice. And um, I feel like uh, even though there is this understanding that the light is increasing, uh, we're not quite in the light yet. It's a slow process. And I love the winter solstice because it's a celebration of um, a change in, I was going to say a change in guard um, from the moon and the darkness into the light. And it's associated uh, in many, uh, with our many of our ancestral peoples with a um, celebration of moon energy, which to me is this energy of reflective light, a, a kind of quiet, luminous quality of light. And, I, um, and there is in um, some traditions, ancient traditions, this understanding that the solstice is a moment when the moon gives birth to the sun. And I love that right? because they're in intimate connection with each other. And um, up at Ancestral Heart, uh, at the Yule, which is that moment of winter solstice, we gathered with our, our neighbors and we had a, a, a Yule fire out in the freezing cold, but it was very warm. And it was also warm because it was this lovely moment where we um, shared with each other what we wanted to let go of in this upcoming decade and what we wanted to bring closer, what we wanted to manifest. So, um, so this is not, we don't have a Yule fire, we don't have a hearth, but, and we're not sitting in a circle, except for right now, which I love. <laughs> we're sitting in a big square with a lot of space in between. I, I'm kind of enjoying that. Um, but we are coming together, we're doing a ritual here this morning, and coming together as a community in a contemplative way. So I feel, um, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, how, how, can, how can I be encouraging of this contemplative um, space that we're creating together? We're creating it together. And, um, and just enjoying the, the opportunity to quiet and settle back in into what I experience as a a massive and disheartening burst of energy <laughs> and emails and activity right after this precious uh, moment of Yule and this bit of time where we had um, permission from our culture, in a way, to step back and take some time. And um, this, this feeling in my body about Yule and fire, we have a fireplace there, um, made me think about um, cycles of light. Last, I think it was last Saturday, we had a, what's called the wolf moon, the first moon of the year, and it was unbelievable. I mean, the light, the moon was, you know, when it's low on the horizon, it looks enormous. So I, when I was thinking about what to talk about today, I I got drawn to a particular fascicle in uh, Dogen's Shobogenzo called Radiant Light. 
it's the, the, the name is Kumyo, which um, Kiku uh, helped me to understand means bright shining light or, and also hope or bright future. So it feels pretty important right now <laughs> to go wherever we can in our teachings to look for hope and possibility for ourselves. So there's many jewels in this chapter on radiant light, and there's a lot of different sections to it where Dogen does this, as he does in all of his fascicles, points to many aspects of the teachings. And, um, and I want to start off, I think I always do this, which is a kind of um, a warning that I am not in a position, nor am I going to study and unpack this fascicle. Uh, and, it's, and it's interesting because Dogen kind of helps the humility of the person presenting by talking about the um, limitations of Zen teachers. So he says, do not listen, in this, in this fascicle he says, do not listen to the outlandish explanations of Zen masters. <laughs> so thank you, I, I have no <laughs> intention to, um, to, to be with you in this way in which I am um, telling you some truth. This is for me a chance to, um, to, to, to deepen my own exploration of these teachings and then to just share the associations that have come up for me. And I'm such a nonlinear thinker um, and um, so I, I, I just was playing with these ideas and this is what I came up with between about seven o'clock last night and seven this morning. So um, it's, a, it's a little uh, fresh and unformed. But I thought this would be inspiring for our, our practice together because when I read it, I was inspired. I didn't even know what it meant and I was inspired. So I'm gonna read it to you right now. This is one passage. <clears throat> uh, you men is a 39th generation descendant of the Tathagata, the world honored one, the Buddha. Although he was a latecomer to, in the Buddha's assembly, he was a hero on an ancestral seat. Who can say that a radiant light Buddha has not appeared on Mount Yuman? Once he ascended the teaching seat and he said to the assembly, each and every person embodies the radiant light. If you try to see it, it is totally invisible. Then what is each and every person's radiant light? No one in the assembly answered. And uh, there's often a commentary or a, a, an unpacking by Dogen and by others. And um, one of the passages here says, the assembly was just sitting there radiating the light. They didn't answer with words, you know? They answered with their radiant light. I love that. Human answered for them. What, to the question, what is each and every person's radiant light? His answer was the monk's hall, the Buddha hall, the kitchen, and the monastery gate.
so I just find that encouraging. And when I read this, and <clears throat> imagine sitting here today, and when I walked in, the, I thought about each of you as a radiant light, as radiant light. And then when you all sitting in this square, I was like, oh, it's like a pearl, it's like a set of string, lights on a string, kind of just extending around the whole zendo. <laughs> so, uh, so as I was, I was thinking about light and playing with this idea of light in Buddhist teachings, there were many chants that came up with um, passages about light. So what I thought I would do is just kind of talk to you about ways in which we can access the teachings through this idea of light. So even the word enlightenment is this, um, it comes from the Latin prefix en, which means into, and then um, the second part of the word is, uh, is light, so it's into the light. And I wanted to say right off, because the trickiness of this kind of teaching is that we can make the light as an opposition to the dark, or as something we're hanging on to or clinging to. And so we, uh, the teachings are, are constantly an, un, um, an undoing of that tendency to kind of grasp onto something and, and push away something else. So I want to say that up front. Um, and the first thing I want to say about light and thinking about light is how can we practice with light today? That's what I was imagining. And one of the, um, one of the chants we do, the Fukan Zazengi, talks about when we sit down to do zazen and, and in a day like today where we're going back and to the zendo and back to the um, meditation seat over and over, the request is to turn the light inward. Turn the light of the self inward. Illuminate what's here. So uh, we, we illuminate the self. That's mostly what we're practicing. We're looking at those aspects of our mind and body and heart that actually obscure the light that's already there. So what we do is we illuminate the self. So you sit down in zazen, and maybe the first thing you notice is your mind. Active, busy, uncomfortable, your body uncomfortable. You just start to see dukkha. We see pain, we see struggle. And also, when I think about this teaching of light, um, which makes me feel so like um, encouraged and peaceful, I immediately think about all the violence and destructiveness in this world. And I think, how can I settle into this teaching of light is, and, and include this in? How does this intersect with this? So how do we reconcile right away this teaching on light? And the, most important thing, I think, for my work with people is that we don't necessarily believe we are radiant light. We don't see or feel or trust our own light. We don't see the light in ourselves, and we don't see it in others. Or we see it when we're sitting silently, and then as soon as we open our mouths and talk to each other, it's gone. <laughs> so, uh, so don't be discouraged. Uh, this, to me, is an interesting way to think about practicing with the study of self. 
You know, you could not see this karmic mind. You couldn't see all of this greed, hate, and delusion in our own bodies if there wasn't already illumination. So, the light of the mind is there, whether you are aware of it or not. The luminosity is there. So if you sit down to zazen and you are um, wracked with a lot of discomfort, could you shift to um, being with the luminosity? You know that there's that there's a light already. There's a there's an opportunity to be with um, all of this pain and suffering in a way in which there's warmth and comfort. You know, or clarifyingness. And, you know, uh, when I moved up to the monastery, I kept saying that all I cared about buying were warm and soft things. <laughs> it's like it's cold up there. I, I, well, I, we keep the temperature really kind of cool. And it can feel, um, you know, we're getting up at, you know, 4.20 in the morning and it's freezing in our rooms. So I was like, all I want to do is surround myself with warm, soft, comforting things. And you can think about this, like I was thinking about this luminous mind as like if the, if our, the contraction of self arises as kind of tight or cold or judgy or distancing, or um, we can kind of just focus on this light, you know? I just had another image. I'm going to an acupuncturist, and she puts this um, heat lamp right on my belly, <laughs> And it feels like that's what zazen is, you know. We're just kind of putting the, the light or the heat right on our belly, you know, right on our heart, right in, the, in our heart-mind here. So you can root yourself in the illumination. So that's something you can literally practice with, you know, as, a, as an entry point. And then the second light to speak about is uh, one I speak about all the time, which is the light of compassion. So if you are sitting and you're sitting with your personal suffering, with the enormity of um, the situation we face as a species, we, we, our practice here is to go into it, to get closer to it, to be more intimate with it. I feel like I, that's all I say over and over and over. <laughs> that's all the teachings say over and over and over. We can't say it enough. How might I go towards pain? In this passage, uh, Dogen says, those who practice should not be coarse or distant. So this is that um, warming of the tightness and the distancing and the judging mind. How can I encourage myself with this illuminated mind to enter more deeply into suffering. How do I relax? You know, just kind of relax everything. And the interesting thing is when we, when we go in and we get intimate with whatever is happening, it does not matter what's happening. It could be the most fiercest kind of um, hatred, discomfort, uh, you're practicing this out in the world, you know, to look at the enormity of the suffering of, of fires and storms and um, violence. If we go towards it and not tighten up against it, there's like a releasing that happens. 
and there's a tenderness that happens. So that tenderness comes out of the compassion. Um, a couple of days ago, somebody sent me um, a video of Steve Porges, who wrote, uh, who's a neuroscientist, who wrote a lot about the, this vagal system we have. So as human beings, we are um, geared to kind of tense up around threat or danger. And I think um, in this time, many, as well as other times, there is this need to constantly undo the tightening and the defensive postures that come up. And what he says in this video is so amazing. He talks about it as the science of compassion, that when we attend to those rigidities, those tensions, could just be like a tightening in the jaw, you know, or a mind that can't let go, it's kind of gripping you. If we can be with that fully, what happens is the nervous system calms down. And when the nervous system calms down, what's, what arises spontaneously is compassion. So compassion is what you kind of offer the, the, the fear-based contraction, and then it's what arises. So then there's, there's a light there, a possibility there to be with and to open to something. And then from that light, there's like a, there's a, um, a kind of lightheartedness, you know, and tenderness, an open heart. So, so that's another um, light image to practice with. Kind of bringing it into the darkness. Offering it the medicine. And what I'm talking about is doing this in a very small scale level, always, like in this moment, in this moment, in this moment, and also training in this way. We bring it. To, we can. We develop an embodied capacity to bring it to more to to the world. So sometimes we're very discouraged, and it's kind of hard to open up to that. And our conditioning kind of obscures our ability to trust the light or feel into it or offer it this warmth. So we have another teaching, another light teaching, I would say, which is the um, light of encouragement in our potentiality. So there's a teaching in Buddhism called Buddha Nature, which is such a, a lovely, encouraging teaching, which says that, um, in my words, like love is a, potentiality and a realizable force. Even if we feel a thousand miles away from it, it's there, it's available, we can return to it and, um, and live it. So I have a system that is, um, tends towards doubt. <laughs> well, it's the most terrible hindrance. <laughs> um, but there is this, this, it has comforted me through the years when my mind is filled with doubt. I turn to this teaching of Buddha nature, which I trust, you know. I, I, I want to trust it. What else do we have? It's so discouraging to think that there is no possibility for us. That, you know, it, it isn't an essential thing. It's not like we have this nature. It's a kind of not such a great word to use, but that it's a potentiality in every moment. So 
we can we can kind of just think think or imagine that that there is this like even if it's a tiny little spark this potentiality and um, and it's a potentiality for all living beings. And in order for us not to divide and hate what harms, we have to believe in the potentiality of every living being to turn out a different way. That this light can't be extinguished, that the forces of domination cannot extinguish it, And as, as um, this word presents, komyo, it speaks about this light in terms of hope and right future as another interpretation, another way of speaking about it. So uh, we sometimes just have to hold on to the faith in this, whether we can see it anywhere in us or around us at, at a particular moment. And um, Anand Yushanti once said, I think speaking to this, he said, if you don't see it here, you're not going to see it anywhere. <laughs> so if you're looking for it somewhere else, it's not here, it's somewhere else, we are never going to find it. Another thing to practice on the cushion this afternoon, what would that look like to find it here? Where can you find it? So the, um, there's another imagery around light that we chant all the time, which is the hymn to the perfection of wisdom. The perfection of wisdom gives light. The entire world cannot stain her. She is the source of light and removes the darkness of delusion. So this is an understanding that um, when we can... And I think if we do these things, if we sit with ourselves in this way, that it's inevitable that insight will arise. Insight into change and permanence, a sense of fluidity of self, maybe more of a sense of wholeness and connection. And we, I think all of us, if you've, if you've sat for five minutes or 20 years, um, I believe we all have these moments of feeling fluid and whole and um, connected. So I have a practice I was going to share with you, which helps me because one of the ways that we lose contact with this light of wisdom is that we, we see ourselves as separate from everything else. So if you ever notice you're sitting on the zazen cushion, what you do... I would say for myself, because I've been looking at this and studying this in the monastery, because that's all we do, <laughs> is six periods a day every day, you can't avoid looking at your mind. And what I noticed is, I'll be conservative, you know, that maybe 80% of our thoughts are, are thoughts of self, self-thoughts, or thoughts of other as some... Um, permanent thing. So what I've been doing as a way of interrupting that, and it's been really great, is every time I have a thought of self, the subtlest little thought, like, well, it's always so embarrassing to mention the thoughts of self, <laughs> whether they're inflated thoughts or deflated thoughts. So, um, 
you fill in the blank. Yeah. <laughs> is, um, I, you know what I've been saying to myself, every time I have that thought sitting in Zazen, I say to myself, who am I? It's, a, it's like it interrupts it immediately. Who am I? Who am I? As soon as I do that, it's almost like it pops. It loses its juice. And then there's like this um, almost sense of this, um, of this uh, lightness or, or kind of a, it pops the mind and it loses its impact. So you can play with this on the cushion today. You know, you get, you're caught in some wild versions of self, bad or good, <laughs> enlightened or despairing, and you can just say, who am I? Who am I? And the who am I is not like a, okay, now let me figure out who I am. It's rather a who am I that just says mystery, you know, in a way. Who am I? Don't know. And that helps us be freed from this duality. And you can kind of see the changeability of um, how we relate to others with that as well. So one day, one mood, everyone is so beautiful. <laughs> At the monastery, you know, people just seem like these bright, shining beings, you know. The next day, you're tired, you're cranky, you know, they're tired, they're cranky, and all of a sudden, like, all the light is gone. You know, I know who they are, and I want to get away from them, <laughs> or myself. So you get to, again, the who am I helps to see the changeability of those, of those mind states. <clears throat> So now to the really, um, this is all uh, different kind of aspects of the jewel of, of teaching about light. And in, in the teachings, light will refer to these different aspects, you know, of non-duality or of um, or luminous mind. And this teaching in particular in this chapter is really about suchness. And that's why I wanted to chant the song of the jewel mirror samadhi, um, which you quickly arrange for me to do this morning. Thank you, Maya. Because um, there is something that um, I, I, I felt so drawn to around this teaching of suchness. So what happens is when the mind stops grasping things, you know, when, and I, again, this is not a faraway thing. We all have this feeling. And I want to name it, not because it's something to grab. It's not an experience. It's actually beyond an experience. But we get tastes of it. So when the mind stops grasping, the light of suchness shines through. Um, Dogen says in this chapter, haze, mist, water and, rock, water and rocks, as well as the path of a bird and the profound way are rotating circles of radiant light. So when we can rest back, when the mind stops grasping, and we stop trying to fix, control, manipulate, and make ourselves or the world, when we, it's so paradoxical. We make all this effort to do things, to be wholesome, to not cause harm, and then we have to drop it all because we grab onto it, and then it becomes harmful. So how many of us have, like, really harmed in the, in the spirit of not wanting to harm, you know, or making sure somebody else doesn't harm? So what happens is this suchness just shines through. It's just the most natural thing. Um, 
And um, Dogen says again, the brightness which is utterly clear in a hundred weeds. So, uh, you know, again, my life is now, um, has so much nature in it. So there's all these um, grasses, weeds out, out back, and the dogs run through them. And they're beautiful. You know, they're easy to see the beauty in that. And then I leave the monastery, I get on a train, and then I enter Grand Central Station. <laughs> and there's a hundred grasses there, like thousands of grasses running from one spot to another. And they're beautiful too. There's no different than the grasses. But we miss it. We think the, gra- we think the suchness, the light, the luminosity is only in the grass, only in the trees, only in the moon as opposed to all the suffering beings running around. And um, this is, again, as a sign of encouragement, if we can rest this mind and rest back. You know, the other thing that happens is a lightheartedness. You know, to use again, light. That, And you all have experienced this when you sit for a little while or in Sashin and you think everything is so hard and dull and yucky and then all of a sudden you're, you know, this happens after Sashin's. Everybody is like, ha, 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 you know. There's all this light energy, this kind of energized feeling, a lightheartedness, a grip of self releases and there's connection and joy. And sometimes it even changes our visual field. Things feel more luminescent or direct or... Um, energized by a certain kind of light. And even um, suffering beings, you know, even people who are um, profoundly suffering or even um, really uh, caught in fear, like you can even feel their shine. I was thinking about um, we, uh, Brooke and Greg, who are our neighbors, they just had a baby, you know. And I go over to the house and I'm just like, forget about them. <laughs> Give me that baby. <laughs> you know, there's something, you know, before the ego and the self kind of fully, you know, manifests, there's something that shines in, in this being, you know. Um, not to say they don't cry or they're not uncomfortable. But it doesn't matter. There's just some kind of um, light you want to go towards, uh, this openness. And then I was thinking also in my experience, you know, being with a a lot of beings who are dying, there's also this luminosity that happens. This light in these beings that kind of shines through maybe when the ego starts to, like, loosen its grip. It's very sweet important teaching so it isn't we don't have to like we don't lose it just at birth and we don't have to wait till death you know <laughs> to find it again um, can you can you see through all of our mishigafs which I may not have used that word right but uh, it just comes up all of our stuff can you see the light there Know? And there are certain beings that you just want to be around. It's kind of like there's something about their capacity to be uh, 
be connected to that, you know. We're, I think on Wednesday, we're doing a, um, a memorial for M Martin Luther King. And so there are these special beings that appear, these Buddha, these Bodhisattvas, that encourage us. It's like their, their, their radiant light is so strong, we, we, can, we can feel it for ourselves. Sometimes you can even see it as you're walking down the street. Like if I'm, I'm not um, uh, totally distracted in my own sh shit, you know, and I pass somebody, I'm like, there you are, there you are. We're meeting, light to light. So again, please don't think this is as an experience only or a characteristic of things. It's, it's, um, it's just something about expressing the whole. We can never see the radiant light fully. We're always limited by the conditions of our, our karmic mind. But we can um, sense it. So I, I um, just will say one last thing light that um, Dogen refers to, or Yuman refers to in this passage. He says, again, if you remember, what is each and every person's radiant light? What an interesting response, huh? The monk's hall, the Buddha hall, <laughs> the kitchen, and the monastery gate. One of the things we do here is that even if we don't have any faith or trust in our radiant light, in all of these teachings, we make a vow to be with each other in a way that um, comes from a faith or uh, comes from a recognition of that. So we may be in a position in our relationships with each other here in the Sangha where we hate each other. You know, um, we're in conflict with each other. We're disappointed in each other. And yet we, um, we still bow to each other. We still care for the things that are here. We, we um, want to be in service to each other, this, this enlightened activity. So this is a, you know, Dogen's teaching is um, it's enlightened activity. There's no enlightened being. There's enlightened activity. And we don't have to be enlightened. We don't have to be in the light, you know, living from light in order to do enlightened activity. That just the doing of that enlightened activity, just the act of it helps us um, pay homage to it, remember it, honor it, acknowledge it. So how can we care for things in a way that is radiant light? What does that look like? How do we do things with a deep love and care for all beings? And, you know, um, this winter I'll be studying with others the precepts as well as the paramitas. And these teachings, these practices are practices that are infused with an understanding that we are light. And some of you have taken deep vows to realize that light. And we need to remember them, these manifestations of light, because without it, 
we and others get discouraged. God, do we need do we need to live from faith and light? Which goes into the darkness. It's like the medicine, you know? And we're not trying to get rid of the darkness. The darkness is just another side of the light. It's not the light versus dark. But it's a, a light of clarity, a light of remembering. And that's why I, I think the image of the sun and the moon is, is so sweet, you know, because I think for me, um, I'm such an introvert and I love being internal. You know, I love when I sit down <laughs> to Zazen. You know, there's something very nourishing about the moon for me. Um, that contemplative inner uh, practice. And then we don't just do that. We, we go into the light of activity. We don't just come, you know, keep ourselves all warm and cozy, you know. <laughs> we go into the cold world and try to remember the light. So, um, <clears throat> so I wanted to read, uh, just as an ending, a passage from a book I had been studying this fall um, called Mother of the Buddhas, uh, which uh, is this, um, this uh, these teachings of the, it is the, uh, an interpretation, not interpretation, translation of the Prajnaparamita Sutras. And I, I, and just to say, you know, Prajnaparamita, which is, you know, this wisdom, these wisdom teachings um, called the Mother of the Buddhas, you know. Like um, the imagery of the womb in which things get birthed. So here's um, one of the beautiful passages that I, I, um, I thought I would end with. It's passages um, as the full moon illuminates both the tiny herbs and the night sky. Do moon-like bodhis moon-like bodhisattvas illuminate for tender beings whatever is righteous, dignified, excellent, and wholesome ways of life that can be envisioned and practically manifested in the world? So we, we do this illumination practice. And then we bring it to tender beings and offer these ways of being that actually are wholesome, tested, you know, embodied, um, and practically manifested. I love that because to me this is ultimately a very practical practice. You know, as, as esoteric as these teachings might sound, as, as um, far away uh, as our vow is that all beings will not suffer as much as we fail the minute we get off our cushions to fully live these teachings. They're very practical teachings. They are an offering.
hope that's encouraging. If this was just for me, I couldn't keep doing it. You know, my habits are way too strong. And I think this is the natural way for most of us is that whatever we can't do for ourselves, we find some courageous capacity to do it when we feel the suffering of others or from something that moves us. And there's so much out there right now that can move us, move us towards despair or move us towards um, kind of a, a courage. So, um, so try it out, just thinking about light and your light and the light that's in the walls and the trees and the orioki bowls <laughs> and the servers. You know, he says we go to the monastery gate, we go to the monks' hall, the Buddha, the, each person's radiant light is the monks' hall, the Buddha hall, and the monastery gate. You know, and I'm saying this for the monks at Ancestral Heart. We gotta take the practice and, and bring it to the gate and let those come in from, from outside into the gate of this monastery, of that monastery. May our intentions equally penetrate. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.